Hello, and welcome back to the Kennebunk Podcast. We're at episode 50. This week, we have Morris Beagle, a music industry veteran who has pivoted into hemp in a big way. He produces online and in-person events, makes paper products, and even makes high-end guitars, which you'll hear more about. Morris also has a message of hope right now as we emerge from this pandemic in terms of how hemp can help us with our economic resurgence. You know, maybe you can find a job in hemp or like Morris has done, create your own job. He's done this over and over and we'll dive into his best advice on how to do that. So this podcast, my website and newsletter are all devoted to helping you figure out how cannabis and help can help you live better. So if you haven't yet, please sign up for my weekly newsletter, Five Boom Friday, or stop by and see us at cannaboomwithak.com. Many thanks to Danny, our producer and sound engineer in Milwaukee for making us sound good. So there you go. Enjoy the episode. Cannabis is booming and Cannaboom is on it. Welcome to the Cannaboom podcast, where we interview experts on the changing story of humans, health and hemp. From San Diego, here's your host, Tom Stacy. Hey, we're back on the Cannaboom podcast and our guest this week is Morris Beagle. Hey, Morris, how are you? Doing good, Tom. How are you doing? Pretty good. We're way into this COVID-19 thing and I think it's interesting in the long sweep of history, we forget that the plague is kind of a regular thing every every hundred years or so. And, you know, we've also forgotten about plant medicine, that plants are our friends for about a hundred years now. So there's lots to talk about in that realm, especially in hemp, which you are such a expert in. Yeah, the, the COVID thing has definitely created a, a shift all across the planet and basically everything that we do on a daily basis. Yeah. Hemp is making a comeback in this country. The Farm Bill of 2018 has had an impact, but it's been forgotten. And you're a guy who's reminding everybody of how valuable this plant is. Well, the the plant has been suppressed really since the 1930s through the Marijuana Tax Act and, you know, taking out cannabis as a whole marijuana and then hemp and yeah we're now we're just playing catch up because in 2014 we passed the the 2014 farm bill that opened up the hemp industry with pilot programs that were somewhat limited in a handful of states but that did really get things kicked off again and then the 2018 farm bill legalized hemp completely across the board but at the same time, there's still a lot of roadblocks and obstacles out there from the USDA, the FDA, and the DEA is not got out of the mix when the Farm Bill made it pretty clear that this is now under the jurisdiction of the USDA. But the DEA still has their hands in the pot, and it's still creating problems for us. There's a long history in this country. A lot of the founders grew hemp, right? We know that. And it was used for a long time. And then, as you know, in, in the 30s, it kind of went out with cannabis, which uh, there are all kinds of, that's a whole nother story. But hemp was thrown in with that. And so it was outlawed. But there's it's such a versatile plant. I mean, there's applications in textiles and paper and hempcrete, all kinds of things, right? And And you've got, what, eight companies that are related to hemp? Something like that. I mean, I think we've got really like a dozen imprints, but half of those are events with NOCO Hemp Expo, Southern Hemp Expo, Hawaii Hemp Conference, Hemp on the Slope. You know, we do a lot of events, but we've also got a hemp media company, Let's Talk Hemp, and we've got a podcast, a newsletter, a digital magazine. We do have a hemp paper company, Tree Free Hemp, and we do hemp paper printing and, and marketing collateral. 
and then we've got a hemp guitar company, Silver Mountain Hemp Guitars, and we're making guitars and guitar cabinets and guitar straps out of hemp. Wow. And we've got a One Planet Hemp merchandise store where we sell t-shirts and hats and posters and bags. And so, we, yeah, we've got our hands in a lot of different things. We don't have a CBD company. That's one thing that we aren't doing, but we obviously work with a lot of CBD companies with our events. So you're kind of all in on this. Tell us more about the events. Are, uh, obviously, that's been a difficulty recently with the pandemic. Uh, so I, I guess you went virtual for your last one? Correct. We've done two virtual events now. We did one for the summer solstice over summer solstice week from the 16th through the 19th, I believe is what it was. We also did one over Earth Day and Earth Week, which was our initial pivot into the cloud because we postponed NOCO Hemp Expo, which is our our big event. And it's the largest hemp expo and trade show conference in the world. We are going into year seven at the end of March in Denver. And we bit, we pulled the plug, I think it was on March 9th, the day before Governor Polis declared a state of emergency in Colorado. And we had been out at Expo West, which is a huge natural products trade show in Anaheim, the beginning of March. And they ended up pulling the plug at the event, and it became this huge cluster for exhibitors and sponsors and people that were out there for the event. And that really set off the the storm for the event industry in my per, in my perception was that and then following later that week we were like what are we going to do we're going to just kind of check out and we were looking at AEG and Live Nation and South by Southwest and then South by Southwest was going to go through and all of a sudden it's like they got too much pressure people were pulling out and they pulled the plug on I think March 6th March 7th and we convened over the weekend and we were able to move our show from March to August and make a clean sweep with our venue and our hotel and all of our contractors. Um, and then from there, we decided, well, we need to jump into the virtual space. We don't know how long this is going to go on. So we bought into a platform and created our first event in April and had a really good response. We had over 1,500 registrants and built out a virtual expo hall and a programming auditorium and a library that featured pre-recorded presentations and other content that we had had at NOCO Hemp Expo over the years. And, and then we built that out further and did it over summer solstice. And then we're also going to do one more in November. So yeah, we've pivoted to the virtual realm now and just trying to keep the conversation going about all things hemp and have providing a platform where everybody can get together and still communicate and do business and educate and again, keep everything moving forward during this odd time that we're living in. Well, that's a very agile sort of move to make to go from in person to kind of media production and as you say, up in the cloud. And I mean, a, a lot of tech involved in that, obviously. So who, who shows up at your events? A, a lot of farmers or hemp contractors and the public or w what does it look like? So all of the above, we've really created kind of this hybrid type event at in person for NOCO, where we really cover all aspects of the supply chain from the farmers and genetics companies and equipment farm equipment manufacturers, processing equipment, manufacturers, marketers, attorneys, policymakers. We really have worked hard to 
create the supply chain show, as well as bringing in the consumer on a consumer day. So we really have like a B2B day and a B2C day. And the B2C day is a hybrid day where the B2B people are still there, but it's educating the public as well. So we've taken this big net, big tent type of approach, and we've tried to do the same thing in the cloud, but the cloud is really more industry focused. It's hard to really get people that are just your general everyday looky-loo tire kickers to show up and be part of a virtual thing. And, and that's fine. You know, it's really for in-person events is where the, the consumers can find out more about him. But we certainly are doing what we can to educate the public. Here, this is what hemp is. This is what marijuana is. Here's the differences. Um, but it is all cannabis. It's all one plant. And we've got this legal definition that divides the plant at 0.3% THC, which is an arbitrary number that our industry doesn't like. And I don't think it just doesn't make much sense. But our whole thing is to really try to educate and work with the industry and educate the consumer as well. Have you seen sort of an explosion in, in interest in the time that you've been doing this? Has it been a steady increase or, or people just madly want to know more? It's been pretty steady. We've had great growth over the years since we jumped in this in 2012, which we got in the space when Amendment 64 was happening here in Colorado that legalized adult use cannabis. And within that legislation, there was an opportunity for farmers to start growing hemp in Colorado. So we were pre-farm bill and we got off to a little bit of a head start and being a full-on legal adult use recreational state and a hemp state gave us a little bit of advantage. And I still think Colorado is the leader in the market. Uh, Kentucky's been a leader. They've had a lot of problems recently with bankruptcies of big companies out there. Oregon is certainly a leader. And then there's other companies, you know, other states are popping on as well. But there's been a steady increase as more states come on. Like this year, we've got Florida and Texas who are all gung-ho to, to get involved and start growing hemp. And, and the more states that come on, the more interest that's going to continue to happen. And I think that with peaks and valleys of any industry, we're going to – Eventually, we're going to have a really strong, robust hemp industry. We're not quite there yet, but the interest is there to make it. Right. I mean, it kind of ticks a lot of the boxes you would look for in an industry in terms of sustainable. It will employ people all along the chain from farmers to salespeople and, and everything in between. What is your perspective on how this could help revive the economy as we do come out of this pandemic? Well, agriculture is... And very important for the United States, and it's very important for humankind. And we've got a big agricultural problem with the way we've been growing genetically modified crops and growing it conventionally, monocropping with whether that's corn or soy or wheat, uh, sugarcane in Hawaii decimated the soil out there. And Hemp is one of these crops that requires far less inputs, uh, is easier to grow organically and regeneratively. And I think that is one way where hemp can kind of stand up as the steward of agriculture and say, hey, there's better ways to, to grow agricultural crops that are going to be 
positively impacting the environment instead of having detrimental effects with spraying all these petrochemicals on crops that then get into our food that also get into our waterways with our streams and our lakes and rivers and then into the oceans. Uh, we, we have to move away from those bad agriculture practices or we're going to just decimate our soil and we're not going to be able to grow anything. We'll be eating lab-grown meats and whatever else. So I think that a hemp can provide a great opportunity for leading an agricultural revolution for organic and regenerative. And then the, proce the processes and products downstream, we can utilize hemp in building materials, which are fairly toxic for the most part, and bioplastics and uh, animal bedding and paper. And there's a, just a, a lot of different applications that hemp can end up going into for these various commercialized industries that have a lot of toxic ingredients in their products. You just made some great points there. I mean, 20 or 30 years ago, there was sort of every now and then you would see a, a hemp store somewhere and it was run by old hippies. <laughs> and now everything you just said about all the different products you can make, it's a regenerative plant. Uh, it's good for agriculture. I mean, you could make plastic bottles, you can make clothing, you can make concrete. I think some car manufacturer made cars out of it. It's a fuel. Are we crazy to think that it can do all these things? And, and what is the resistance to that sort of a resurgence in hemp? Well, it can certainly do most of the things that you just said, or all of the things. Some of this is going to require technology and innovation, which we've been uh, hampered on for 80 years. And now there's definitely innovation and technology that has um, been created over in Europe and in China and in Canada as well. And if we look at at Europe, who has hemp flax and Dunagro, they're two of the biggest hemp companies and fiber-based for the most part, that are doing hempcrete and other building materials and insulation, uh, biocomposites, and you had mentioned cars and car parts. So there's a lot of these high-end manufacturers in Europe that are changing out their car paneling from plastic petroleum base to a more biocomposite using hemp, hemp flax mix, hemp canaf mix. And it's stronger, it's lighter, it's got way less of an environmental impact. And I see that there's just tremendous opportunity for growth in those areas because manufacturers will listen to consumers. Consumers, I think, have for the most part been fairly vocal about trying to do things the right way and voting with their dollars. And if if people make a stink about products that are environmentally unsafe and they can be made safe by using plant-based materials rather than petroleum-based materials extracted from the earth rather than grown from the earth, I think that there, this shift can certainly happen. Again, it's going to come down to technology. I think there's a lot of technology that's out there uh, in the fossil fuel industry even, that could be modified to a degree where that can take plant-based materials, uh, you know, instead of hydrocarbon materials using carbohydrate materials and make the same products that are 
just as good and inexpensive eventually. That's that's one of the biggest problems is the fossil fuel industry, the timber industry, the pharmaceutical industry, all these industries have been subsidized for such a long time to develop out this technology. And if we're coming at it from a more natural, holistic standpoint, uh, we we need to be subsidized too. We, we need access to technology to take these materials and convert them into these ingredients so they can enter into the, you know, into these different industries. That's a good point. I mean, some of these entrenched players, they've got the lobbyists and they have investments that are kind of protected. But, you know, I've looked for hemp t-shirts because I, I read that there's a lot of uh, fibers that come off your polyester clothing that literally millions of fibers, microfibers will come off and get into the, the water stream, as you probably are aware but it's basically $35 for a hemp t-shirt. So once these get to scale, they'll be more competitive with cotton, I imagine, right? Correct. And there's the, yeah, the hemp t-shirt thing you are, you're going to pay two to three times as much for a hemp t-shirt as you are a cotton t-shirt or a polyester t-shirt. And the microfiber problem, like you mentioned, is a huge problem. You, you run these through the washing machine, little tiny fibers come off, they go into the sewer system, then they, you know, they end up spreading. And it's just that stuff doesn't go away. It builds up. Right. They, they gather toxins as they go and then fish eat them. And uh, it's an enormous problem that most people are just absolutely unaware of. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, I'd love to wear all hemp clothing and hemp blue jeans. I haven't found any of those yet. I'm sure someone's making them. But uh, hopefully the momentum on that picks up. And as we help educate people, there's more of a demand. And then the scale will pick up and then the, the price will come down. Yeah, there are some hemp jeans being made out there. There's a company called Hempies out of San Diego that makes hemp jeans. I think Roganic out of Europe is making hemp jeans. And then... I know that Levi's has entered into utilizing some hemp materials for, and they'll be releasing their new hemp jeans coming here soon. And Levi's is actually making hemp guitar straps now, which I just realized about six months ago, because we're making guitar straps as well. But those guys have entered into the hemp guitar strap market. So they've got interest. And when we have companies like um, Levi's getting into the market, that's a good thing. We've had Patagonia, who has a line of hemp clothing. Prana makes yoga clothes out of hemp. So some of that stuff is out there, but most of it's pretty high end, and it's not your commercial $20, $30, $40 pair of jeans. It's you're going to pay $80 to $120 for a pair of jeans. Yeah. Well, over time, that'll come down. So you have Levi's coming in as, as a competitor, That's a, and you, you see it as a good thing. So that's that's great. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I just want to see more companies making the right decision and utilizing environmentally friendly materials, replacing less environmentally friendly materials with better materials. Yeah. So uh, I know music is a passion of yours. So let's talk about Silver Mountain and the quality of those guitars. So I come from the music industry. I've been involved in the music industry since the late 80s working for large music and video companies. And then I had a record label slash one-stop shop production company and started in 95 called Happy Scratch Records and ran that for about 15 years. So I've got a pretty extensive history in the music industry and I'm a guitar player. My brother is a world-class guitar player. And um, 
when we started Colorado Hemp Company in 2012, and then we started NOCO in 2014, I found out about these guys making some hemp guitars in Canada. Canadian Hemp Guitars is the name of the company. And I got a couple of their guitars, and then I asked them if they would work with me on doing some private label guitars. And we started working on that, and I had them build me some guitars. And then there is another company that we started working with to build guitar cabinets. And uh, the guys that were behind that, we started doing some other custom work together. And and we have now are sourcing some different materials and introducing a brand new line of hemp-based guitars and guitar combo amps that utilize hemp wood from the hemp wood company out of Kentucky. And that's hempwood.com. And what they do is a they're making a, a hemp wood product that's similar to like bamboo flooring. You basically take the stocks and then you compress them with an eco polymer into these solid blocks. And then you can make flooring and cabinets and picture frames and guitars and a variety of other things out of the material. So we're using that material in conjunction with a hemp particle board that's also being grown and processed and manufactured in the United States that was created by a guy named Larry Serbin from Hemp Traders, and that product is called Canagrove. And so it's a hemp particle board, 100% hemp using the stock, the fiber and the herb all ground up and pressed together like a standard particle board. And that's what we're doing the cabinets out of, and with the, we're gonna be doing trim with the, the hemp wood on that, but the guitars has a combination of the hemp wood and the the can of board for the bodies at this point and it's 100 percent hemp bodies uh, the necks are not hemp the pick guards we're working on a 100 percent hemp pick guard as well as knobs and i don't know if we're going to have it completely dialed in by this first run of guitars that we're currently doing which i should actually have in my hands next week um, we looked at the they're working on the pick guard stuff right now and Hopefully they're going to work. The, the whole thing is, is we're creating things out of this material that haven't been done before. And, and in doing that, it's uh, definitely R&D and, and learn as you go that we've made really good progress. And the guitars are really nice guitars. We built, a, we had a prototype Stratocaster that we made that we debuted at the World Ag Expo during the Hip Innovation Challenge. Um, looks great, sounds great, plays great, and this new model that we're doing, it's going to be our own Silver Mountain hip caster, and it's not a knockoff of a Strat or a Telecaster or any other Gibson Fender type guitar that's out there because we're trying to stay away from having those guys come after us for any sort of uh, cease and desist, so we've got our own modified, unique little body look to it, and we're very happy with where things are at now and we're anxious to to get them onto the market and continue to develop these as a musician you're able to look at this and say you know this this guitar is as good as any guitar you can pick up it's not a novelty it's a functional instrument correct just it's definitely pro gear and i would compare it to just high-end boutique guitars and guitar cabinets and combo amps so our guitars are going to retail in the $3,000 range, and a lot of boutique guitars will go from $2,000 to $6,000. So we're kind of in that realm, and the, the combo amps are going to be anywhere from three dollars to $4,000, depending on what we're loading them with. 
And again, I think that they will stand up to other instruments in those price ranges. And people are pretty particular when it comes to their instruments and their amps. And there's a lot of nuances with different players like different things. Some people like it brighter. Some people like more mid-rangey. Some people like a little darker tone. So it's it's one of those things where people, if if you're a top guitar player, you've got your own little specific preferences. I think for the most part, anybody that plays the guitar that's a that's a pro caliber player is going to be like, wow, this is a really nice, well built guitar, or wow, this is a this amp sounds quite good. I'm surprised. Right, and then if it is competitively priced and all things being equal, most people would rather do something that's sustainable for the environment. So you probably have some traction there. Correct, because a lot of guitars, almost all guitars are sprayed with sealants and polyurethane and and stuff that's not very environmentally friendly. There's a lot of toxic chemicals used in making musical instruments. And our instruments are definitely going to be some of the greenest, if not the greenest instruments that are out there. What a great enterprise for you. It, it combines your interests in hemp and music in sort of a crossover way. That's, that's cool. Yeah, and we've always got entertainment with our events that we do, and I'll always be involved in the music industry. And th- I think that there, there's a lot of crossover with the music industry, the hemp industry, the cannabis industry. You've seen quite a few people make the transition from that industry into this industry. On the publishing side, too, I know that there's several people out there that have started magazines in the cannabis space that come from the music industry space. Uh, Why do you think that is? I mean, traditionally, we know cannabis was used by jazz musicians. And is there an open mindedness or what do you think is at work there? I think that cannabis has definitely gone hand in hand with the music industry for a long time, since the 30s. Let's say, you know, since the jazz side of things and the blues side of things and then you come up through the 60s with pop and rock and roll and and hard rock and then reggae and then the hip-hop scene and cannabis is kind of a mainstay throughout the music industry and people are just open-minded about why should this plant be illegal and prohibited in the first place. I mean, there's no reason for it. It's far less harmful to your body and to society than alcohol is. Right. I think a lot of people have just got that because it's like, oh, this seems dumb. Why should it be illegal? Yeah. And I like using it. It it helps me creatively. It, it makes me relax. There's just a lot of different reasons why people are open to it. And I think mus- musician-wise, the, again, most of the most of the musicians I know are just generally more open-minded about things. Yeah. So uh, which came first for you? Was it music or hemp? Music by far. I grew, I grew up with in a musical family and I didn't really get into hemp until 2012. Although I, when I started happy scratch back in 1995, I befriended a hemp store that was there in Fort Collins called the Hemper wears no clothes or the Hipper's New Clothes, based on Jack Harris book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes. And we actually made hemp shirts and hemp hats for some of the bands that we worked with. And no, I wasn't really a hempster. I was a cannabis user recreationally. 
but I did get educated about hemp back then. And I was really just more into the music thing and didn't become a real hardcore advocate or activist until 2012 when I was looking for kind of a career shift since the music industry had plummeted because of the internet. And I was in the physical media business doing CDs and DVDs and, and physical distribution. And all of a sudden all these stores got closed and, companies went out of business who were selling physical products because of all the digital download opportunities that were out there and pirate bay and file sharing and all of that stuff. So we really got into the hemp industry in, in 2012 when we started Colorado Hemp Company. So that that's uh, the story of you pivoting uh, once again. Technology does change how consumers consume. And I guess when states started to legalize, there was an opportunity for you to um, jump into another industry. Yeah, a brand new industry, which I believed in because reading Jack's book back a long time ago, it's like, wow, this plant can do all these different things. I had no idea. And then, you know, I was focused on the music industry stuff. I was trying to keep my company alive until I couldn't keep it alive anymore and I had to shut it down. It's like, now what am I going to do? And what opportunities are out there? And the cannabis thing was definitely happening in Colorado. And I didn't want to get into the medical and rec side. I just didn't see that as something that I was passionate about. But then when the hemp thing was included in Amendment 64, and it's like, wow, we can do hemp t-shirts and hemp paper and posters. I can tie my music side of things into this, and I can take my skill set and, and really almost template it into the music industry as a or into the hemp industry from being a music promoter to, to being a hemp promoter. And that's what I did. I pivoted and a guy got, got in early and, and fortunately started NOCO in 2014 as the first real trade show that was going on um, as an outside promoter. There was a, a hemp industry organization, the Hemp Industries Association, that had been doing a trade show every year. And it's a small two, 300 people come into a trade show. And it's like, well, if this industry is going to go forward, you got to have a, an industry trade show. And participating in shows like CES and the NAM show and NARM in my music industry days and seeing these huge trade shows that were either industry oriented or the hybrids for the industry and the consumer market. It's like, this is what the hemp industry needs. And being there first and seeing it grow exponentially year after year has put us in a good position. And it's also allowed us to create these other brands. So we've got, you know, we're not just stuck in one facet of the industry. We can still pivot and do hemp paper. We can, we got our little hemp guitar company. Uh, we have a media platform that we're building out with Let's Talk Hemp that we've got a weekly newsletter, a digital magazine, an opportunity to help really educate the the hemp industry and the consumer market. So Morris, you're a serial entrepreneur. Uh, you've started at least eight or nine companies or more in this hemp space in manufacturing, events, media. You've talked about R&D. So for some of the people out here uh, among our listeners who might be, you know, without a job, there's a lot of people who are out of work now and they look to hemp as possibly a place to maybe start their own company. What advice would you have as people wade into that? Well, I would say do your due diligence, make sure that 
that you're going to follow something in your heart that you're passionate about and that you're good at and where can you contribute? I would say that if you're looking at currently what's going on and, hey, I want to get in the CBD industry, that you should take pause on that because the CBD industry is very volatile right now. And if you haven't already been in it and established that I would be very cautious about jumping into that part of the industry. But you can take a look at the entire supply chain. And if you've got a skill set that aligns with whether that's farming, genetics, R&D, processing, sales, marketing, manufacturing, that there is a place for every skill set that exists in this industry. And again, I would say do something that you're passionate about and do something that is authentic. You know, I would also add just network, get involved with people who are involved in this. You know, go to your events. That's where there are gatherings of people who are like-minded and um, talk with other people. And that's going to help you build a network. Without a doubt, networking is key to any industry and particularly this industry and the cannabis industry as it's still nascent at this point. And being able to get out there and whether it's our events or other people that are doing similar type events, the more people you know, the more people you can talk with, the better off you are going to be in trying to find your place to land in this industry. So none of us has a crystal ball, but if I ask you what this looks like in, in 10 or 15 years, do you see a world where hemp is more integrated into all these things, uh, the economy, it's done better for the climate? What, what does that world look like if, if hemp is being used to its optimal capacity? Well, I think that it will be integrated into our society much more in 10 to 15 years than it is now. Right now, we've still are at the beginning phases of this industry, and it's been focused more so on CBD and the cannabinoid side and less on the, let's say, the textile, the food and the ag side. And that is shifting right now. And so I see that there's going to be a lot of investment come into this kind of ag and fiber and environmental side and that you will see big companies starting to shift and pivot towards utilizing materials that are more environmentally friendly in their products and adopting more environmentally friendly practices. And hemp will be leading that conversation or a big part of that conversation. So how is that gonna translate? Is it too late to, to save our world from continuing down this path of fossil fuels and climate change and, and just poor environmental practices. I hope not. I hope that we can make the change. And I think that um, one thing that I'll say, so we have this gal, Winona LaDuke, who's a Native American. She's up in Minnesota and the natives are embracing this crop. And, and she made a comment on our on our event at summer solstice about pandemics or portals into a new way of thinking and a new way of doing things. And that our systems today are, are collapsing and they're outdated. So hopefully during this pandemic that when we come out the other side, that we really do have a, a higher consciousness and a better awareness of our 
you know, our environment and how we operate as a species on this planet and that we will look at making better decisions for, for our species moving forward. Because if we don't make changes now, I think that we're going to be in a world of hurt come 20, 30, 40 years from now. Right. Well, wow, that's a powerful perspective there that cannabis could be the catalyst that, that helps us come out of this in a, in a positive way. Let me ask you, are there other things that we can do to help spur the adoption of the ballot box? What else can we do to, to help grow the hemp movement? Well, yes, voting with, your, well, voting with your wallets is certainly one aspect. But voting at the ballot box, too. And that is with local politicians, state politicians, and making sure that we have people in office that are actually listening to the constituents and that have a focus on the environment and climate change and independent small businesses and that are really listening to the people and that are just not being bought off by big corporations. And that's a tough thing to do these days. Our political system is uh, hopefully fixable. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of either party. <laughs> so I think that we've been going down the wrong path for a long time. And, and how do we fix it with a two-party system? On the federal level, I'm not sure, but I think that we, the people, have to continue to use our voice and use our voice collectively for our equality for all, um, for cannabis being legal and not prohibited. People shouldn't be in jail for this plan, and anybody that does have a, a violation, a misdemeanor, felony for small possession should have that expunged. And we just have to be vocal to our to our politicians and to our leaders that, you know, we've we've kind of exited prohibition. This mind thought that we've been in is it's outdated. It doesn't make any sense and that we have to do things better moving forward. Absolutely. If 2020 has shown us anything, it's how badly broken our political system is. You know, the other thing is it's it's hard to know where to get good information. There is fake news, and so it's hard to know what to believe. But we can all decide to, as you say, do our due diligence and believe that hemp is a viable, sustainable crop that can make a big difference. Um, you know, obviously, you're, you're showing that every day, uh, and as you've been doing for the last eight years or so. You've shown that you can make guitars out of this. No one's ever done that, but that's something you can do. And there's a lot of other things that haven't probably even been thought of yet that hemp could be a, a solution for. Absolutely. And the more good people and smart minds that we have involved in this industry, the better the long term is going to look. And I'll say it again, this industry is only going to grow and have more impact on society. So I invite everybody that's got a passion for trying to do the right thing to, to hop on board because we, we, we need more people that um, can bring value to the industry and that, that you can come from any walk of life. And we need more diversity too. This is an industry where we want to build equity and equality for all. We don't want it to be run by a bunch of white men. And we are going to do our part to provide this equal platform so everybody can participate, black, brown, white, straight, gay, 
whatever your religious affiliation is, you know, everybody should be able to participate on an equal playing field. We want a democratized industry. That's a great picture. Morris, is there anything we haven't covered that we should? I do want to mention one thing, and this will be the kind of the first announcement that I've made on a podcast about it. And that is we are partnering with Marijuana Venture Magazine and Cannabis and Tech today for the RAD Expo. And this is a retail and dispensary expo. It's going into its third year and Marijuana Venture Magazine has run this the last two years in Portland and it's moved to Vegas and it's the first week of October 6th and 7th. And this is a more retail oriented event, but it's for dispensaries, health food stores, smoke shops, anybody that stocks cannabis related products, hemp related CBD products. And we are working to do a live event in October. It'll be our probably the only live event that we get to do this year, as long as we can make it happen. But we've been working with the Las Vegas Convention Center, who's implemented protocols for big gatherings, and they're going to be the first ones really to kind of lead the way. And uh, this isn't going to be NOCO. It's not going to be MJ Biz. It's not going to have 10, 20, 30,000 people, but it will be a, a good in-person event with several hundred exhibitors and three to 5,000 people, hopefully. And we're going to gather in Vegas in the first week of October. And I just want to let everybody know that you're invited to come participate. Thank you for getting that out there. Congratulations on getting in into that with some powerful partners. That sounds like a, a must for a lot of people. So put that on the calendar. Yeah, we're, we're excited about it. We just had a conference call, finalizing a lot of things right before we hopped on this podcast. Morris, where can we find you online? MorrisBeagle.com. And then if you go to WAFBA, W-A-F-B.org, there you can see all of our brands and click on the brand and it'll take you to the individual website. All right. We'll look you up and uh, we'll, we'll get all that into the show notes. And uh, good luck uh, with your event in October. That sounds really exciting. And thank you for taking the time to explain the world of hemp to our listeners. I know a lot of people are going to be really excited about this. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, Tom. And thanks for spreading the good word about cannabis on the whole to your listenership. And let's all just keep on keeping on. Right on. Thanks, Morris. All right. Thanks, Tom. Take care. You've been listening to the Cannaboom Podcast with host Tom Stacy. If you like the show and want to know more, please check us out at Cannaboom with a K.com. And please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. See you next week.